0: So much of modern motherhood is spent wishing we were doing better, whether we're comparing ourselves to other moms or to the ideal mom we assumed we'd be before we had kids. But this wishing takes us further and further away from joy and it stops us from being the mom we want to be. I'm Rebecca Brownright and I'm here to help you focus on connection because connecting more deeply with yourself and with your kids will help you forget about mom comparisons. Connection will help you resolve behavior issues with your kids and connection will help you live a life full of real joy because that's what you and your kids deserve. Pause and connect with me for a moment to listen to discussions about connection and motherhood, finding your purpose, smashing cultural narratives, and so much more. This is Pause and Connect. Hello and welcome to Pause and Connect. I'm Rebecca Brownright and this is episode 19 called What's going on in the brain of your child with ADHD? Now, today I have my husband, Ryan, here. Hello, everybody. He's going to give us some insider info uh, because he has ADHD and he was diagnosed in his 20s. And so uh, he learned a lot of things later on in life. And uh, with the benefit of hindsight, he's he's figured out a lot of things about our children who a couple of them have ADHD. Do you want to explain your voice really quick?
1: Yeah. So <laughs> there's nothing wrong with your speakers or our microphone. <laughs> I do have a, a paralyzed vocal cord. So my voice just sounds like this. So uh, hopefully I can soothe you a little bit <laughs> with my voice.
0: Yes, Some people don't think it sounds that bad. And some people are like, whoa, are you dying? So um, <laughs> so we're we don't know what you're thinking, but we, we did want to put that out there. Um, and we're hoping that that will be repaired at some point in the future. Okay. So let's let's talk about ADHD. So like I said, we have we have one child diagnosed with ADHD and one who we think has ADHD.
1: Pretty sure he does.
0: yeah. <laughs> and, and Ryan has been really instrumental in helping me who I don't have ADHD, but to help me understand what's going on in our kids' brains.
1: You know, that's really funny though, because you, Rebecca, have been instrumental in me understanding my ADHD because of all of the uh, research you've done. so, I think we're a good team.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think we're a good team. Um, I, I've been working for Attitude Magazine. It's the country's premier magazine on ADHD. So if you don't follow them, but you have someone with ADHD in your family, you, you should be following them. Attitude Magazine. And and I've I've read every single article on their website many times. I've read every single comment that people make um, about their lives with ADHD. And so we kind of say that I have the academic side of the condition. I I have the academic understanding. And then, Ryan, you have the, the lived experience. And so yeah. so together, I think we are a pretty good powerhouse for our kids to, to, in understanding them. So because Ryan has been so helpful to my neurotypical brain, I wanted to bring him on here to help other parents who are struggling to know how to help their kids with ADHD. Now, we should say, Ryan, that like what you share is not all-inclusive,
1: right? True. Yeah, I think uh, an ADHD brain is different from one person to the next. But there are some similarities and so my experiences might be different than what your children are going through and what our children are going through but hopefully uh together we can we can help shed some light on on the subject for you
0: yeah yeah um and i think you have a really good way of explaining what's going on in your brain that i think will be really helpful to parents listening today And if your child doesn't have ADHD, I would still say, hang in here with us and listen to this episode. And there's two reasons for that. One is that ADHD is actually really underdiagnosed. And so um, I I know many people who, who didn't think they had any ADHD in their family, and then they learned a little bit about it and they were like, oh, that explains so much. And so And then they got some ADHD diagnoses for for some people in their family. So it's really good to be aware of the symptoms because it's possible that your child or a child you know or a person you know has ADHD and isn't getting the help that they need. And you know someone with ADHD, I guarantee you do. And so it would be good to to know more about that. And then um, the other reason is that the things that don't work for kids with ADHD, like uh, consequences don't work for ADHD. And we'll probably talk a little bit about that. Those things actually are not the best ways to help neurotypical kids either. And so it's kind of good to to understand what goes on in the ADHD ADHD brain and how to work with them and how to parent without punishment, because that's actually what's going to work for neurotypical kids too. And that's, of course, what we're all about here at Pause and Connect. Connected discipline is transformative. And I learned this as I learned how to parent my child with ADHD. And then I found that the principles that I learned worked way better for all children than the traditional parenting methods that we were all raised on. So the things that we share today, basically, is what I'm saying, is that, that it's still going to apply even if you don't have a child with ADHD. There's a saying that if you know one person with ADHD, you know one person with ADHD, <laughs> because it really does present differently from person to person.
1: Yeah, I mean... I. Uh... I look at our daughter, Lydia, um, who has ADHD. Uh, When I was growing up, uh, and even today, I cannot read a book to save my life. My brain just goes in completely different places, uh, bouncing around with other ideas. I'll have to read one paragraph ten times before I comprehend what it says. Uh, But Lydia, who does have ADHD, also can get lost in books. She can read for hours and hours, and that is uh, very often because our hyper-focus, which I'm sure you've heard about ADHD, um, can be different from brain to brain. I can sit down and watch movies uh, for hours and hours at a time without having to get up for anything. Um, I have a sister who I'm pretty sure has ADHD. She can't sit through a 20-minute episode of a show. So it's different for everybody um, how ADHD presents. Uh, from one child to the other. So it's really important to get to know your child and how ADHD presents for them.
0: Yeah. um, One thing about ADHD is that it's an interest-based nervous system. And so so what you said about how Lydia can read books forever, that's because that's her interest and how you can watch movies forever. That's because that's your interest. And so that's where your focus goes and and you know some people with adhd are more hyperactive than others some are more daydreamy than others and then all have really unique strengths and weaknesses that combine into making them who they are and then also the environment plays a big part too in how a child's adhd is going to present because like for example let's say that you are a spacey child and you're being raised in a really strict household with really clear routines Well, you might have the personality that will respond to that and your spaciness will be less of a problem. Or you might have the personality where you can't really meet those routines and you really struggle with it and then you get punished for them and then you have bad self-esteem added to the spaciness that you have. So then you're a a child who's presenting with spaciness and bad self-esteem. So environment really impacts how ADHD shows up as well too. One thing is for sure. All children with ADHD benefit from parents and a home that accepts them as they are and then uses connection to resolve challenges. Let's do a little defining of ADHD here before we get started. And actually, I think as we go, we're going to continue to define it as we talk about it. So ADHD is such a misunderstood condition. Um, The image that Many people have is a little boy who can't sit still in his seat, and that was you, Ryan. (laughs) And there certainly are little boys with ADHD who can't sit still in their seats, but there's also little boys who can sit still and they're daydreaming in their head. And also, the problem with this image is that it only paints one presentation and it overlooks all the things that are going on inside the ADHD brain. All the different types of people who can have it. Little girls can have it. Women can have it. Men have it. Now they are not as diagnosed as the little boys who are bouncing out of their seats. And the problem with this is it also that the problem with the idea that it's it's just a little boy who can't sit still is that that also makes it seem like ADHD isn't that big of a deal, but it is. Wouldn't you say?
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, little kids uh, without ADHD also wiggle in their seats. So often uh, we see a little kid wiggling in their seat and we think, oh, they have ADHD. But that's not all. That's not always the case because little kids are little kids. So we can't look to that as the only way to think to ourselves, oh, my kid must have ADHD. There are other things that we need to, to look at.
0: Yeah. And well, we'll be talking about a lot of those. And ADHD is really misnamed. So it stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And now that name implies that there is hyperactivity and it implies that there's a lack of attention, but that it doesn't show up in that way in every child. Like we said, the, the outward hyperactivity does not show up that way in every child. And then lack of attention, you know, attention deficit, that's really interesting because as they're as they're studying and learning about ADHD, it's not a deficit of attention. It is uh, plenty of attention, actually. It's just that the attention goes to the wrong things.
1: I mean, that's that's exactly right. I, I think one of the best descriptions of... A brain with ADHD is uh, when you compare it to a neurotypical brain. A neurotypical brain has what I would call like an office manager or a front desk person that can manage all the information coming to the brain. So they they get all, there's all this information going on. There's, uh, you know, trees in front of you, there's sounds going on, there's smells, there's all this information. And the office manager is organizing that and then letting go, um, letting back the things that are important. So if you're having a conversation with somebody, the office manager is allowing only the information that that person is saying. Where a person with ADHD does not have that office manager, that office manager quit, they left. (laughs) So now you're left to do that all on your own. And so as you're having a conversation with somebody, instead of focusing on exactly what they're saying, you're wondering what that sound is, or you're noticing some guy off in the distance uh, doing something that looks kind of weird. Or you think about why ketchup is red. I don't know. There's so many thoughts that bounce around in your head. And what, we're gonna kind of come to that about how that feels inside your head. But it's just massive information, just bouncing around, echoing off the, your skull. And you have to be able to calm that to focus. And it's And it's very hard.
0: Yeah, that sounds exhausting. I've heard I like the office manager example that you shared. I've also heard it called like a butler. Yeah. Like a, me, I have a butler in my in my brain who's who's saying, Madam, uh, it's raining today, you'll want to remember to bring your umbrella and, and you like your butler quit and you and it's just there's nobody there telling you that, you yeah. know? OK, so there's also this image that the hyperactivity component of ADHD has to be obvious, you know, like the kid is bouncing off the walls. Or if you're an adult who manages to sit through meetings, um, you might have a doctor who says you can't possibly have ADHD. Or if you got good grades and, and didn't, you weren't disruptive in school, they might say you can't possibly have ADHD. So that's another myth that really hurts people in getting their diagnoses. It's just not true. Yes, some kids bounce off the walls, and those are the kids who get noticed, and those are the kids who get treatment, and they're the ones who get help. But a lot of kids and adults have hyperactivity going on in their minds, so their thoughts might be bouncing up and against and around each other in a way that makes it difficult to focus, but their body might be still, so it isn't going to look to the outside observer that they are hyperactive.
1: I, I thought I had about that the other day. Uh, You know, it was trash can morning. I remembered to get the trash cans out the day before, which was awesome. (laughs) Uh, You know, as I was, uh, you know, I I took the kids to school in the morning and I was coming home. I thought to myself, uh, you know, oh, hey, a lot of times the uh, recycling gets emptied uh, by this time. So as I parked the car, I thought to myself, I'll go down and check to see if the recycling had been emptied. And if it has, I'll pull the trash can back thinking to myself, man, I'm being proactive. This is awesome. <laughs> um, but, the, but from the moment I thought that and left the car and walked down the driveway, I had a million thoughts bounce through with my head. I don't even remember what they are. Um, but by the time I got down there, I was in like automatic mode because I was thinking about all these other things. And then I ended up not even checking to make sure that the cans were emptied. And I pulled them back up to the house and went back in the, in, into the house. And they were both full. And they were both full. <laughs> so, I mean, it, just in that short amount of time of, of giving myself a task of checking the cans and pulling them back, if they're empty, I just totally skipped a bunch of steps because of the hyperactivity, hyperactivity-ness. How
0: hyperactivity, <laughs>
1: that one, um, going around in my head. Um, so, so kind of relating that to children, a lot of times you give them a very simple task and they can't get it done. And that's because of all of that hyperactivity going on in their head.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then social conditioning is a really huge part. Uh, so boys are given a lot more freedom to be hyperactive, whether they have ADHD or not. It's just what people expect. They expect that boys are going to be energetic. And so if if a boy is energetic, they're they're just saying that's a boy being a boy. And girls, on the other hand, are conditioned to be still. And they're conditioned to notice how their behavior is affecting others and to keep things to themselves and they're conditioned to be polite and all of that. So in girls, hyperactivity might come out in other ways because of their social conditioning. So they might talk a lot or bounce their leg. They might interrupt their friends. They might twirl their hair. They might fidget in their seat. Tap their pencil, need to get up and down to go to the bathroom, or sharpen their pencil. And of course, the obviously hyperactive kids might be doing this too. But that's that's just again where we're if we're only expecting to see a kid bouncing out of his seat, we're going to miss these other hyperactive behaviors. So Ryan, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with that. I, especially noticing that in our daughter who has ADHD, she loves to talk a lot, a lot, a lot, mm-hmm. and she never gives space for uh, anybody else to you know, interject with ideas or thoughts. She'll just talk a mile a minute and she needs to fidget, she needs to do all those things, but she's not a hyperactive person in a physical sense. She hates doing physical activity, in fact. She just wants to sit and read or sit and talk. Uh, so that kind of shows how that hyperactivity can, can manifest differently. Yeah, in
0: different ways. So when you understand that hyperactivity can be internal or that it can be socially conditioned out of a child so that it comes across in less disruptive ways, it really changes how you view ADHD. So our daughter who we've been talking about, she gave us permission to talk about her, by the way. Um, and she, she put this to words so well. And so I asked her if I if I could share that this experience and her words. So one day she was really upset about her brain She couldn't catch hold of her thoughts and it was really distressing to her. She told me that she had heard it described that brains are where people have like boxes in their brains and they store information in those boxes and then they have the ability to go back to that information later. That's a, a description that she had read. And that's an accurate description of my neurotypical brain. I, I don't think I have like an imagery of boxes in my mind, but I can set a thought aside and I can come back to it later. I can categorize my thoughts and organize them. I can use my thoughts in a linear way, in an organized way. But in her brain, she said that these, these are her words. I love them. She said that her thoughts were bouncing against her skull in a gigantic thought ball. <laughs> and this was when she was telling me this. She was having a really hard time emotionally with something. I don't remember what was happening, but she was upset about something. And so it was really extra hard for her because she couldn't calm her emotions down because she had that gigantic thought ball bouncing against her skull. So she couldn't fasten on the right feeling or even make sense of the feelings because everything was bouncing around inside her brain.
1: I like that imagery. I I picture a rubber band ball Mm. and each rubber band is a thought or an emotion or something going on, and it's all just entangled with each yeah. other, bouncing around inside your head. So I love that imagery, and it's a perfect description of what it feels like to have ADHD.
0: Yeah, that's I like that rubber band imagery because you can't you look at that and you can't pull a thought apart from it. It right. takes a lot of work to unscramble the yeah. rubber bands from each other. That's really helpful. So this that's an example of inter, internal hyperactivity. And it's as disruptive to a child as outward hyperactivity. And everything I'm saying about children applies to adults, too. Everything we're talking about, obviously, Mm. because Ryan's an adult here. And so this is why adults, and especially women, because they've been socially conditioned not to behave with outward hyperactivity, that's why they don't get diagnosed. Because there's so much happening internally, but everyone is expecting to see the external behavior. So Ryan, would you say that your brain worked this way when you were a child?
1: And you know, and I didn't know it at the time, because I didn't know I had ADHD. I didn't know what ADHD. I don't even think I even heard the term ADHD as a kid, because when I was a kid, it wasn't uh, often talked about a lot. But thinking back, thinking about the things I did in in classes to to get out of my seat, uh, all these things that I did, and the way that I remember thinking about things, totally, my brain my brain worked that way. And I don't know what helped me. So it's, it's hard to say what helped me back then. Uh, I know it helps me now. And and understanding it, I think I'm getting a better idea of how to help my children understand that. So because I didn't have help, I didn't know I had ADHD. Um, a lot of time, I was labeled. I wasn't labeled as the kid with ADHD. I was labeled as the hyper kid, as the lazy kid, as a kid that didn't want to get uh, Want to do work? That they had no interest in getting good grades. But I think it's it's different than that. I think our schools are set up to only work with the neurotypical brain. Even today, our, that, that's just the way that the system works. It doesn't work in favor of a of a child with ADHD. Um, and I think the reason why why that is is because the ADHD brain works so fast. There's so many thoughts going through there at once. That in order to cope with that, we have to figure out, you know, how our brains work in a different way. And so an example I have of that is I remember math. I was always actually really good at math, uh, but I always got bad grades in math. And the reason why that is, is because um, I couldn't follow the way the math teacher was teaching us to solve the problem. But I can look at the problem and I can solve it. I solved it my own way. My brain worked differently. It worked fast. And so I would solve the problem, turn in my homework and get a bad grade because the teacher said, you didn't didn't solve this problem the way I taught you. And so that's what I'm talking about is everything's very specific um, and, and not working for that ADHD brain. So a child with ADHD is not lazy. A child with ADHD is very interested in learning. Uh, very interested in absorbing information and being successful. They just cannot work within the systems that are set up for neurotypical brains. And so if you really sit and talk with your child that has ADHD, they understand the school material. They get it. They totally understand it. They're just having issues with the systems that are set up that don't work for them
0: yeah yeah, and and I think it's different for every child. Like their um learning disabilities often accompany ADHD. so some kids are going to have trouble absorbing the information. but i I think it's so interesting what you were saying about your math problem about how you figured out the answer, but you were punished for figuring out the answer. And that's kind of uh, what we do to children with ADHD and then and then we label them as um a, a defiant. Or uh, he's too lazy to do the work, even though your brain moved so quickly ahead of the work that you didn't need to do the work. You still figured that out. And I think we're really missing something really important in our society by behaving this way, by by punishing different thought, a, a, a diversity of thought.
1: Yeah. I think that goes, again, um, I don't know if it was this way for me as a child, but a lot of children with ADHD do get bored in class because... They've already learned it. It's done, and they've moved on.
0: Or um, it's, it's not an interesting subject. It's right? not an interesting subject. They have subject. an interest-based nervous
1: system. Exactly. And so it's not, it, you know, it's not that they don't care or that they're lazy. It's just it's actually the opposite. They're just uh, they're overstimulated. They're over doing things in their brain, and they focus on things that they have interest in.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard it described that um, a neurotypical person, so somebody like me, can force myself to do something that I, I'm not interested in. You know, like I, I I hate vacuuming, but I can make myself do it because I recognize that it's important. So if I was in math class, I I could. I could make myself sit there and learn the processes because I know I need to get a good grade where um someone with an interest-based nervous system, a, a child with ADHD, if it's not interesting to them, if it's not holding their interest, then it's really difficult to um to to make themselves do this really uninteresting thing. So I think that that's that's again knowing that about your child can really help you avoid punishing them because you can recognize that they they're not doing this to be naughty. They're they're not Um, having a messy room to be naughty or not turning in their homework to be naughty, that it just isn't capturing their attention in the right way. And so when you know that you can, you can shift things. Yeah. Um, Okay. So it helps our daughter to move a bit. Um, And and this is helpful for most kids with ADHD. So she might play with a paper clip or a button on her shirt or something Fidget toys are helpful too. When she was in elementary school, this is so sad. She had a couple teachers who punished her for playing with her belts or little objects in her hands. And uh, this was happening in second grade. And I didn't understand she had ADHD or even what ADHD was. And so she'd bring home these notes where she'd gotten in trouble for playing with the belt instead of paying attention. And I was pretty upset that my child was misbehaving. Um, But now I understand that she needed to fidget and it wasn't misbehavior. She was in moving her hands and, and playing with the belt she was actually paying attention in class and so i learned that and then by the time she was in fifth grade and had another teacher who was taking away the paper clips from her hands i all i all i had to do was say hey um so you know her brain focuses better when she can move her fingers. So what's an appropriate thing that she can hold on to? What's something that she can do in your classroom that isn't going to distract others? And I didn't even give her teacher the option of saying no. I just said, "What can she hold?" and he made accommodations without a problem because it's simple. If if you know that your child needs to move, you can come up with with ways to do that. So that knowledge was really critical for her. So Ryan, you have a lot of really funny fidgeting stories from yeah. when you were a kid. Now, remember Ryan, so our daughter is the the still type. She's She sits still, and so she fidgets with things in her hands. But Ryan is the hyperactive type. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, when I was a kid, I could not sit in my chair for very long. So I would, my whole thing was trying to find ways to get out of my seat. So I would break my pencil so that I can go sharpen it. I would find papers around me. Uh, which often were uh, homework I didn't turn in that I found in my backpack. I'd uh, throw it, crumple it up so I can go to the garbage can and throw it away. Um, some funnier ones, uh, you know, you remember when you were a kid uh, passing notes in class? Well, I thought it would be more fun to uh, army crawl across the floor when the teacher wasn't looking, all the way across the other side of the room to whisper secret to my friend and army crawl back without getting caught. It was like a game. And I had other games like uh, if there was another empty seat in the class, I would try to move to that seat without the teacher noting, noticing and see if he ever noticed that I would keep moving around and I would do that constantly throughout the
0: class. And wouldn't you raise your hand in the next yeah. seat? Yeah,
1: I'd like raise my hand and make comments and move to another seat, raise my hand and make comments. <laughs> uh, another thing that I would do in middle school, we had a classroom where there was a door out to the hall, and in the back of the class, there was a door to outside. And with this particular teacher, I would often sneak outside the back door, go to the office, get a note for being late to class, and come back in and do that a few <laughs> times to see if anybody would ever notice. And sometimes they wouldn't. I, I it's you know, it was kind of weird. But um, so just things like that. I just did not want to sit in a chair. I just couldn't do that. And so, um, what I've learned now as an adult, that, uh, an idle ADHD brain thinks about way too many things. And so it can't sit still. So whether, so that can manifest like me, uh, physically getting up and moving around or like for our daughter, daughter, it's, it's more of those internal hyperactivity inside your brain. Um, but when they can focus on one thing like a fidget. Uh, so for for our daughter, uh, you know, being able to play with something in her hands, that helps calm that brain to focus on one thing, so that it can have a secondary focus on what it needs to be focusing on. So for me as an adult, if I'm sitting in a meeting at work, or in church, or wherever I am, I found that if I'm drawing, if I'm doing a puzzle on my phone, if I'm doing something that en- engages my brain, it'll quiet out the 50 different thoughts. So that I can focus on the puzzle and I can focus on what's being said. Otherwise, it's all over the place. Uh, So if you find that that works for your child, which it does for almost every ADHD person, give them something to focus on because they can focus on two things at once. That's the one thing about ADHD is they can multitask. But they can't multitask if they have a million things going through their head versus just the two If that makes
0: sense. Yeah. So you're giving the brain something to focus on that is meaningless with the fidget. And then that allows the brain to go and focus on the thing that they're supposed to be focusing on.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so I'm, I'm thinking about children and some of the common areas where this is a problem and what we've seen. Like at, at dinner time, our kids with ADHD want to be out of their seats or they're standing by their chair. And so, it, like, just let them. You know, like that's something that we we tend to do is just let them stand by their chair and and eat. It's yeah. it's not a big deal. Of course, if we were in a restaurant, we they couldn't do that. But it's really not a big deal. And in class, you know, giving them something to hold on to um, is really helpful. And if if we, if we need them to focus on, I don't know, a lecture or something like that, like maybe set out a puzzle or have an art project or something like that. I know some older people like to knit when they go to church, you yeah. know, and, and so, so things like that can, can help kids with ADHD. Yeah.
1: You know, and one other thing I thought about, and this really would only work for like homework, uh, but listening to music while oh, yeah. they do homework. Uh, for me as a kid, I you know I hardly ever did my homework, but I remember listening to music while I did my homework, helped me get my homework done faster. Uh, and and I and it just helped me focus on that. And I know that works for her, our daughter as well. I know that she started listening to music when she does homework. And it seems to help her a
0: lot. Yeah, that works for both of our kids, Who the one who we think has ADHD and the one who does have ADHD. And another thing that works for them with doing a task like homework is if somebody is near them, it's called body doubling. You don't have to be doing the homework with them, but you could just be sitting near them. And somehow that um, centers their brain and they can stay focused on the thing that they're trying to do. Um, That's another really good tip. Okay, anything else about that? No. Okay. We want to talk next about the executive functions uh, that are impaired with ADHD because that's the hallmark of ADHD, is that executive functions are impaired. And this comes straight from the Attitude website, what I'm, I'm going to read right now. So, executive functions refer to uh, six areas. One is activation, and that is organizing tasks and materials, estimating time, and getting started. So, kids with ADHD, people with ADHD have a hard time with that, with all these things. The next one is focus. That's finding, sustaining, and shifting attention as needed. They have a hard time with that. The next one is effort, regulating alertness, sustaining motivation, and processing speed. The next one is emotion, managing frustration and modulating feelings. The next one is memory, using their working memory and accessing recall. And the last one is action, monitoring and regulating physical activity. There there are other executive functions as well, but those are the ones we're going to talk about this episode. So what we want to do is... um, to take those executive functions apart and have Ryan tell us what it's like to struggle with them and then share some tips that um, that we've learned from our research and from life with ADHD in this house. So first one is activation, which is organizing tasks and materials, estimating time, getting started. So how do kids struggle with this, Ryan?
1: Organizing tasks and materials, um, estimating time and all that, that, that's a lot of thought power that you need. And when you have all these things bouncing around your head, it's really hard to kind of map out anything. So, uh, you know, an example is, you know, Rebecca does such a good job at putting these podcasts together. She has her script out. Um, and when, when she asked me to be a part of this and she wanted to write my script, I was like, I I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want to say. Um, so a lot of this is we, by the way. Um, (laughs) and I've, I've actually become, I, I hope, become pretty good at winging it, but winging it is not always the best way to go, especially as you get older in life and you have a job, you have responsibilities. Um, you got to learn how to organize tasks um, and materials and, and, and be able to think forward into the future, which is very hard to do when you have ADHD. So I got lucky and married somebody that balances me out, that helps me with these things. Uh, But there are things, there are tools out there that can help with organization, apps, technology, and things like that, that have helped me. And so I'm I'm grateful for those things.
0: Yeah, I I have a note here that you said last night when we were talking about this, you said that a person with ADHD knows what you need to do, but can't see the map on how to get there. Exactly. And I think that that goes along with this executive function of activation. It's difficult to to organize and to get that. When you said that we balance each other, I learn a lot from your winging it and from your spontaneity. And so none of this is is inherently bad. None of this is completely bad. It, it makes it hard for school and work, but living a life where you can wing things is actually a, a really awesome trait to have. Because our children have to live in a world where we do school and and they're going to grow up and have jobs and things um, and take care of families. And that that can be hard if you're someone who wings it. some tech, some solutions, like Ryan said, are technology apps. One app that we love is called Brilli, B-R-I-L-I. And we'll put that in the show notes. It it just takes a child through their morning, their afternoon, their evening routine, whatever routine where they're struggling. It takes them through it in this really dynamic way. And the kids look forward to it. and, And it's really helpful.
1: Yeah, and I think because kids love technology, it you know they love being able to walk around with this phone and and do these tasks and swipe when it's done and uh, all these things. So yeah, it works really well.
0: Yeah, teaching your child how to do checklists or to do lists in, in whatever form they like. They might not like to write it down, but they they might have other ways to do it. Seeing yourself as your child's coach and being gradual with that uh, scaffolding for them. So that that means basically like you're doing a lot of things for them in the beginning and then you're gradually taking some of that support away as they develop the skills. Mm-hmm. So understanding that this is a long process is is really one of the biggest keys to raising any child at all, actually, and especially a child with ADHD because when your expectations are more realistic with with what's going on in their brain, then you can understand their quirks, you can understand what's going on and you can you can help them with your with your own unique
1: solutions yeah and i think being gradual is very important that means you might have to start off with giving them only one task at a time Mm -hmm. go brush your teeth come back and see me and give me a hug go and then when they do that then okay now i need you to go get your jammies on and come back and see me and give me a hug. Mm -hmm. you know doing that and then you can gradually give them okay i need you to do this this and this and they can start gradually getting into those longer checklists.
0: Yeah. Okay, so the second executive function where they they have trouble is focus. And that's finding, sustaining, and shifting attention as needed. So tell us about that, Ryan.
1: Yeah, actually, um, I didn't share this, this uh, with you. I just thought of it as we were coming to this. Uh, the other day, I was talking to somebody in a situation where there's a lot of people around. And I was talking to one person and we were at the end of our conversation, but not quite there. And I saw somebody else and of course with ADHD, I didn't have the function or the butler to be able to say, um, Hey, focus on this right now. Uh, you know, and kind of blur that out. And I thought, Oh, I needed to say that. And I completely walked away from the other person. <laughs> I completely walked away from the other person and went over there and said the thing I was saying and then remembered, Oh my gosh, I totally just left that guy hanging. So I came back I was like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I, uh you know, I'm sorry I just walked away. That was really weird. But uh, those are the kinds of things that happen with focus is because as we talked about the, the you know, the um, office manager, the butler, uh, we don't have that. And so all this information is coming in at the same time when and so finding a way to focus on one thing is really hard. And suddenly you're getting pulled away because you saw something else that you need to attend to.
0: Yeah, it's like the shiny object yeah. syndrome. Yeah. Oh, oh, there's something shiny over there. Um, so just, yeah, imagine how hard that's got to be for a kid who you tell them to go put their shoes on and they get distracted by something else and then they get in trouble for not putting their shoes on. Like they didn't mean to get distracted, you know? So understanding this, again, is is one of the best things that a parent can do for a kid with ADHD because when you understand it, you have more patience. So some solutions for this that we use in our family and that have worked for Ryan is to touch your child when you give them a direction. Like uh, give, give one instruction at a time. Pull them into your face if you can. Like not every kid likes eye contact, but like one thing that works really well with my kids is to bend down to their level, put my hand on their cheek and look in their eyes. And they allow it. Not every kid will, but that works really well. And then another thing that works so well is to have routines for those repeated things. Those things that you have to do every single day, like getting ready in the morning and going to bed at night. Make those a routine so your cu- child doesn't even have to think about it. It's just what you do. You're, they're on autopilot. And then they don't lose focus during those times. That, that eliminates some of the challenges. Mm-hmm. Okay. The third one is effort. This is regulating alertness, sustaining motivation, and processing speed. How is this a challenge for kids, Ryan?
1: Oh, man, this is a hard one. Um, because again, a, a child with ADHD wants to put in good effort. Um, I, you know, I, I really think that this one kind of comes down to the uh, the stigma of ADHD, of being called lazy, of, of of messing up and failing, of starting a task and not completing it. You kind of get tired of those things. And so effort becomes hard. Effort becomes this process of if I put forth effort, am I going to be successful or am I just going to fail again and be looked at as lazy or um, you know, can't, can't finish projects. Um, also a lot of times, uh, lack of effort is because you're going back to that. The one before is your focus got put on something else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There are times in my job when I sit there and then my brain is saying, just do the thing, Ryan, do the thing. And then I'm like, why aren't you doing the thing? Just do it, Ryan, do the thing. And I can't get myself to do the thing. And so then I will find other things to do so that I don't have to do the thing. And I can't figure out why. I haven't figured that one out. I'm sorry. I know that's disappointing. <laughs> but um, there are times when no matter how much you're telling your brain to do the thing, it just won't do it. And, uh, and, and there are little things that do help me. Um, you do have to pull. When it comes to that point, if you see your child struggling with effort, have them do something else. Take a break, uh, find a fidget, have them go take a walk around the block if they're old enough to do that on their own or take a walk with them. I find that when I do that, when I get up, I go take a walk, I come back, I do the thing. So we have to get away from that stigma that if we don't do the thing right now in this moment, then we're lazy. That's not true. We just need to reset our brains. I like that. I
0: imagine that this would be a place where connection would work really well too, like hugging your child or doing a really quick puzzle or something like that together yeah. and then going back to it. But giving them that connection can help kind of reset their brain. Another thing I've read is to start with the most fun thing, which goes against how our uh, a neurotypical brain thinks. My neurotypical brain is like, I need to do the hardest thing first and get it done with. But um, because people with ADHD have an interest-based nervous system sometimes that won't work for them because doing the hardest thing is this insurmountable task and it's not going to give them the motivation to keep going but starting with the most fun thing gets them moving and then they can move on to the least fun thing
1: after it's really true and you'll you'll find that if you get them interested in the task with the funnest thing they'll work hard and -hmm. they'll power through and get all the all of it done um even the boring stuff because now they're in it and they're Mm -hmm. focused they're hyper focused and they actually work really, really hard.
0: You know, our little boy who we think has ADHD, he has learned this on his own. Um, when we have distance learning days, he starts his day by playing in the backyard. And at first we want to say, no, 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 you got to sit down and, and get get going on your work. But he says, I'm going to have my 20 minute recess right now. And that's the first thing he does. And then he comes in and he's able to sit down and, and get going. Yeah.
1: And he'll put music on. He's mm-hmm. the other one that figured that out. Yeah. He, told me, he asked if he could play music. He's like, Dad, when I play music, I get my work done fast. Mm -hmm. And so,
0: hip hop, it has to be hip
1: hop. Yeah, it has to be hip hop. (laughs) Um, So you got to allow that kind of stuff. It doesn't make sense in your brain. Yeah. But in their brain, it totally does.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the fourth executive function where there's trouble is emotion, and this is managing frustration and modulating feelings. And this was surprising to us, but it's what finally helped us get our daughter diagnosed because her her emotions had been so difficult to manage for so many years. And then when I learned that that's an ADHD symptom, it was like, oh, all the other symptoms that she have now fall into place. But this one is not talked about much. Trouble with emotions is not talked about very much. So there's things like flooding, their brain floods with with one major emotion and that's all that they can think of and they can't step away from it. There's anxiety, there's rejection sensitivity, where if, if you, if you tell them that they've done something wrong, they can't handle it. They can't bear it. Um, and that's, that's a real thing. They really cannot bear it. It's almost physically painful to bear it. There is um, the un. Ability to distinguish between major threats and minor issues. So everything seems like DEF CON level, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's low self-esteem. There's feeling overwhelmed and unable to get started. So tell us about all that, Ryan.
1: But I think, you know, thinking, going back to that uh, imagery of the rubber band ball, right? Each rubber band represents a thought, but also mixed in that rubber band ball is emotions. Mm-hmm. And because it's all entangled with one another, it's very hard for a child with ADHD to make sense of it all, what emotions are they feeling, which makes those emotions harder to feel because you're, they're not understanding why they're feeling what they are because everything's jumbled up in a ball and bouncing around in your school. Mm-hmm. And so those emotions are really hard for those kids because they don't understand it. And on top of that, because of the way that the the school system is set up more for neurotypical kids, they're already feeling like they're feeling. Mm-hmm. They're already judging themselves. They're already wondering to themselves, what is my teacher thinking about me right now? Mm-hmm. What are my parents thinking? What are my friends thinking? Man, I really, you know, my friend has an A in this class. I have a C in this class. Why? You know, they're already judging themselves. And so all these emotions are really hard. And so I, there's some things that we can, you can do to help your kids walk through those emotions. It's important for them to feel them, um, but also walk them through it. And, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um one thing that we found that's really helpful is to connect with them in the emotions instead of sending them away you know we used to punish the emotions like if you if you keep screaming at me i'm going to take away your stuffed animal you take away the stuffed animal and they scream louder what and and then you say stop screaming i'll give the stuffed animal back as soon as you stop screaming but they can't stop screaming they can't stop that emotion because of that flooding because of the anxiety and the overwhelm and the inability to distinguish between major threats and minor issues. So they just, their brain cannot do it in that moment. And so understanding that limitation that they have, you can help go alongside them. And help them build that strength up again. They um, they can develop a stronger emotional uh, ability to handle different emotions. They can develop that. But when they're young and when, when they're learning this, they need you right alongside them. So connecting, hugging, that helps to co-regulate. You're sharing your regulated feelings with them. And then they can take that. And then they can calm themselves down. And then they can move on. And validating. Ryan mentioned this last night when we were talking about this validating is so huge because like he said, they're already telling themselves that they're bad. They're already saying horrible things in their minds to themselves. So when you validate them and you say this emotion that you have is, is okay. I understand your emotion. I, it must feel hard to have this thing happening to you. Then that gives them permission to feel the emotion, move through the emotion, feel your connection and move on.
1: Yeah. I, I, I can um, you know, Focus in on that validate enough because I think that's probably one of the most important steps. They need to know that what they're feeling is okay to feel and that you're going to let them feel it. Um, in fact, they'll get through that feeling faster
0: yeah. if you do that. Yeah, if they don't have to fight
1: it. Yeah, and just, and just be there for them. And then and then that connecting, the hugging, if you, if your child is okay with hugging, co-regulating, just being there uh, really makes a difference.
0: Yeah, I think understanding this is not something that they have the skills to handle yet is, is key. Um, they will get the skills as you connect with them. But understanding your six-year-old, your 10-year-old does not have the skills to handle this huge emotion on their own yet, then you, it is so much easier to say, oh, I, I can help them manage this. And as I do this, they're going to get those skills. Yeah. Okay, so the fifth executive function that it, that uh, people with ADHD struggle with is working memory. How is this a struggle, Ryan? Yeah.
1: Um... You know, I I go back to that trash can example. It's working memory, right? Um, You have a task, you remember to do it, but even during the task, you get pulled away and you don't complete the task correctly or you don't even complete the task at all. Another example, I love this one of our son, Rex. Uh, So Rex, you know, he's almost ready, right? He has his socks on, everything's ready. And Becca says, hey, bud, go, go up and get your shoes on. So he runs upstairs, and uh, he's gone for a while. So Becca goes up to check on him, and he's sitting there with no shoes on, no socks on, which he had on previous, <laughs> and he's reading a book. And Becca's like, hey, bud, didn't I say to get your your shoes on? He goes, I did. And he looks down, and he doesn't have socks on. He goes, what? What happened? Like, he didn't even remember taking his socks off. <laughs> he saw the book. For some reason, he didn't like his socks. He took them <laughs> off and started reading. And I think that's that working memory. And that's why tasks are very hard to accomplish, because even within a very simple task of getting your shoes on or checking to see if the garbage cans are empty, so much happens within that 30 seconds of going to get your shoes on that the whole task gets blown up.
0: Yeah, this is why it's really common for kids with ADHD to do their homework and not turn it in. And you used to do that, right? Um, And it just stays crumpled at the bottom of their backpack because they they just forget that step because their working memory isn't working for them. Um, Forgetting chores, forgetting tasks. Things like that. So some solutions are to be gentle in are reminding of them, to not make them feel bad for it, and and sometimes it, it is a little aggravating, like oh my gosh, I, why are your shoes not on? Uh, but to do your best to not let that be your every interaction with them, and to apologize when you do mess up, of course. Setting up routines are really, really helpful for those areas, again, where the it's it's just it's gonna happen every single day. Every single day we're we're gonna take our shoes off when we walk in the house, and we're gonna put our shoes by the door. Setting up a routine for that so then you're not searching for the shoes every single day. Those types of things. Um, understanding again, understanding why this is happening with your child is key. And then don't criticize and don't moralize. Don't say you're so lazy. Don't say you're so disobedient. You're so disrespectful because that's not true. It's, they forgot It's as simple as that. They forgot what they were doing or what they were supposed to do. And there's, they're not a bad person for that.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, moralizing like that because they don't understand why, why they didn't get their shoes on. They don't get it. So when you label them, it, man, it, it's a really hard blow to them because it's like, well, I'm not lazy, though. I'm, but it, but they can't explain to you why they didn't get the task done. So it's just its harder for them, and that's where emotions come back in.
0: Yeah, they, all of these tie together. All of these executive functions seem to tie together, don't they? Yeah. Okay, sixth and final one is action. So monitoring and regulating physical activity. Uh, we've talked a lot about this one. Kids with ADHD, adults with ADHD need to move. They need to move in in different ways. And you shared a lot of that with your army crawling and your changing seats. And I think you even had a teacher who would send you to Taco Bell in high school. <laughs> so-
1: yeah, a teacher, he must he must understood that about me, because he would always pull me up to the front of class, slip me at twenty, and me uh, go get Taco Bell for us. <laughs> Anyway,
0: you needed that that movement. (laughs) So some some productive ways to help with this are not to send your child to Taco Bell instead of class, but to um, allow movement breaks in class. Ask your teacher, uh, ask your child's teacher to allow movement breaks. Kids with ADHD are. It's good to send them on the errands. You know, if you need to tell the principal something, let the let the kid with ADHD go and do that. And give give movement breaks for every child. Um, every kid needs this, actually. Uh, don't let your child's teacher take away recess. There are some articles on AttitudeMag.com that talk about why this is detrimental to children, and you can use those. It, it has research that backs it up, so you can use those articles when when you're talking to your child's teacher and say this this is an accommodation we need my child cannot have recess taken away allow your child to fidget um give them exercise throughout the day and then be forgiving of, of some things like we said like most dinners our 6-year-old is standing by his chair or he's out of his seat doing something sometimes we get frustrated with it but most of the time we just let it go it, it's not that big of a deal so so kind of evaluate your own standards and decide it does it really matter if my kid is wiggling or moving right now and and allow them to wiggle and move if they need to those are some solutions anything else on that all right um ryan what do you think adults in your life did well and what can adults do for children with adhd if you were to sum this up
1: yeah i think the best thing you can do is um is really understand the way your child with adhd how their brain works because again it's different from brain to brain Um, understanding that being patient with it letting them know that it's okay that their brain does not work according to what society or the system set in place for school and work that it's okay that they work outside of that
0: yeah
1: it's okay that they uh, I know this is going to sound weird but it's okay that their grades are not that great Uh, my mom was very patient with me Uh, she never had me diagnosed I don't think she thought I had ADHD but she did know that I was different. Um, and she was patient with me. She tried to help me get good grades. She pushed for me to get good grades. But she didn't make it feel like it was the end of the world that I had bad grades. I wish I was diagnosed when I was a kid. I think that if I was, and if I had, if my mom understood that, then we could have done things to help me get better grades. We could have done things to help me work against that system that uh, doesn't help me. Um, because there are things that you can do to help your kids figure out a way to use their brains inside of a system that uh, doesn't work for them. Um, and so just being just being aware of those that, hey, my kid's brain isn't bad. It's actually really good. Mm-hmm. It just is different than what school expects them to mm-hmm. be and what society expects and what, expects and what uh, most jobs expect, right? So, uh, your job as a parent is to accept it, uh, embrace it, love it, and help them find ways to cope with it.
0: Yeah, I think I think ADHD is um, is one of one of it's a condition where it's it has really cool gifts that come alongside the challenges, and um, and it is a challenge because of the way our system our society is set up. But there are so many cool gifts, and and people can be successful with it. We could do a whole podcast yeah. on that. But uh, but yeah, I think I think the thing I have learned as a neurotypical mother is um, I have to adapt. That's that's the way it works. Um, It's it's my child and I need to understand my child and I need to change my expectations. And that's that's it, period. I don't I don't get another choice because the other choice is to hurt my child by refusing to accept who they are. And so uh, it takes time and it takes a lot of learning. But um, the more that you study, the more that you you understand and, and think outside the box, think, oh, oh, things don't have to be this certain prescriptive way. They can go a different way. Yeah. Then the better off your your children are going to be. And the more you're going to be able to trust yourself as a parent and, and move forward and, and forget what other people are saying.
1: Yeah. I think that last part is really important that you understand that you do not have to get them to work in the way that society expects them to. You can... Help them find how to work in the way that works for them. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I I think that's our job as parents, whether our kids have ADHD or not, is to find their strengths and help them use those instead of uh, tearing down... Their weaknesses, right? yeah. instead of letting them be torn down for their weaknesses, because we all have strengths and weaknesses. And with ADHD, there's some particular strengths and weaknesses uh, that are, are, are common across the board. And so the more that we understand the condition, the more that we can be strengths-based. Yeah. 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 Anything else you want to say? any other advice?
1: Nope, I think that's it.
0: Okay. We hope that this has been really informative, really helpful. And again, like we say, every person with ADHD is different. so some of this may have applied and some of it may have not. But in general, the things that we said, uh, that that does that does apply to in general, (laughs) just kind of restated what I said there. (laughs) Um, so anyway, we, we really appreciate, appreciate you being here. And if this would help somebody, please share it with them. Please share it on your social media. Um, there's so many undiagnosed people out there who need the help. So please share this and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for pausing and connecting with me today. Your support seriously means the world to me. If you found this episode helpful, I want you to know I have countless other resources for you to find more connection in your motherhood and life. Head to my website, rebeccabrownwright.com to check out my blog, check out my back and forth journal for parents and kids, and take a look at Pause and Connect Academy, where you can find courses to help you stop yelling, find your strengths, and finally get your kids to listen to you. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a positive review, sharing it on social media, or sharing with your friends. I love you, and I want you to thrive in your motherhood and life. Thank you for being here. Now go forth and connect.